entering the Freedom Hut. When does the shutdown end? New unemployment numbers. The debt crisis grows. De Blasio says no protests allowed. Where's the praise for Florida? Pritzker, the governor of Illinois, says no going to church until there's a vaccine. Biden's hypocrisy is mind-blowing. And was FISA ever constitutional? That and more coming up. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small step. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. If you ask them, what can we do for you? What can we get you? What do you need? To a person, no matter where they work across this country, they say the same thing to me. Stay home. Please do what you can to keep cases down. So my question is, how many of us who say we love them don't really show that love? My message for all of you on this day is show the love. Do what you can to keep cases down. Your choice isn't just about you. You know now that it affects others, including maybe them. And how about our government? Get them the damn PPE they need. Have it made in this country. Remember Rosie the Riveter. These are desperate times. Everybody says it. How about having desperate times call for desperate measures? Really? America can't muster making gowns and masks when we made aircraft carriers and B-24 bombers? Also, here's something else that would be really great for them. A new bill in the House from New York Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney. Now, the bill would forgive student debt for all health care workers who are literally putting their lives on the line to save others. There's precedent for this. We do it for the military and we should. Oh, my. So much to work through there. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Appreciate you joining. Well, it's starting to get a little sunnier, a little warmer here in New York. Thank God. So that'll be helpful. Hopefully, wherever you are across the country, the, the weather's improving. When you're on lockdown, when the country is in as difficult as a position as it is right now, uh, anything that you can look to as, uh, as improvement you got to celebrate a little bit, right? So better weather, even the small things you have to become appreciative of. But here we have uh, not not the governor Cuomo, but in fact, bro Cuomo, uh, the the CNN anchor who managed to turn his own case of COVID-19 into into a piece of performance theater, as we saw when he emerged from a basement on CNN. And we all know that he had already left the basement, gone out and he was infected with COVID-19. And here he is. Lecturing the rest of us, if you care about nurses and first responders, if you really want to help them, you know what you'll do? Stay home. Stay home. Hmm. We're now on two months of staying home. We're going to get to, what, three months of staying home, four months of staying home. At some point, I'm just going to say no. I think a lot of other people are already there. Uh, In New York, we have a greater risk than other places across the country. Not every place, but New York has been, as we've discussed many times, particularly hard hit by this. But now we reach this stage where we understand what the economic consequences are are starting to look like. We haven't seen the full scope of it. And I've just got to say, the hypocrisy from Bro Cuomo here is pretty stunning. This is someone who, just like George Stephanopoulos, when he's been seen walking around uh, you know, with, without his mask on and he's lecturing everybody else about how he needs to uh, how they, they need to be wearing masks. Uh, th- this has become a big exercise in virtue signaling for people. 
You know, wear, wear your mask, be a good patriot, even though wearing masks outside, all the evidence, all the data shows that it is not, in fact, um, necessary. I mean, for some of you, if you want to do it, that's up to you. But it's not something that people should should certainly be legally obligated to do in public. And so this is where I, I've got to say it's it's time for us to start having more frank conversations about what we really think is going to happen here. It's easy to lecture everybody about how just stay home, protect our frontline healthcare workers. What does the rest of society do? We can't leave until when? When does lockdown end? What are we really going to do if lockdown continues for another six, nine, 12, 18 months? We were told all along that we would not get to this point. We were told that this was about flattening the curve, making sure that hospital capacity was not overwhelmed. Now we're being told that it's we have to live in this really perpetual state of lockdown until the vaccine comes along. And who knows when that will be, but we'll be in this perpetual state of lockdown until the libs decide that it's okay. And increasingly, I've got to say, it feels like it's going to be right around uh, mid to late November 2020 when really we can start talking about the lockdowns ending. I wish it weren't the case that it were this blatantly political, but I think we've gotten there already because you can't make the case. There, there is no case that we, we would be wise to continue doing what we do, given what we know about the virus. I mean, here is now, now there is bro Cuomo. Do you even lift bro? Uh, the CNN anchor who has managed to become more prominent over there than ever based on a whole bunch of things, including threatening to uh, to throw a substantially smaller, weaker man down a flight of stairs in a crowded public restaurant in the very fancy vacation resort of Shelter Island, uh, knowing that he was on video and really showing everybody what, what a tough guy he was. Some conservatives thought that that was a good reaction. Uh, no, you, you can mouth off to somebody when they mouth off to you in public, but to square off against them when you have your wife and kids nearby and they're clearly not a physical threat to you and to threaten to throw them down a flight of stairs when you're a public figure, when they've made no physical threat against you. No, I think that was crazy. And I'm surprised that, that, that people well, look at to each his own, but I'm surprised that people thought that that was a, a normal response. You know, if someone threatens you. Yeah, then you. Then you can threaten them back. But if someone just calls you a name you don't like, I get called names I don't like all the time. People say stupid, mean things to me. I don't say, oh, I'm going to fight you. That's, a, that's, what, that's what idiots do. Oh, I'm going to fight you. Uh, especially, well, especially online on Twitter, right? I'm never going to see these people. You know, what are we really going to do? Although I do think the Bucks exit Alex Jones uh, charity boxing match would probably be, that would probably be quite entertaining for folks. Um, so anyway, the, uh, the, the problem that we're running into is that they're moving the goalposts, pretending like they're not, and there, there is no exit plan from the lockdown for the libs. They've set all these different, uh, these, these different tripwires, if you will. They've put in place all of these benchmarks that we have to hit that they know we're not going to hit. So then it just turns into their discretion, because what's going to happen is they're going to start to have to waive certain benchmarks and say, okay, we're going to ease this, we're going to ease that. You know, California is uh, moving to open retail stores next week. You know, there's all this good news, and then there are still people that are, oh, no, coronavirus, we can't leave, we can't go outside. 
But if you look at what's happening around the world, there's good news from the perspective of opening back up societies. Germany's opening up. Italy is in the stages of reopening. Spain, places that have been hit terribly by the disease are saying, look, we we got to start living life again. So why is it that America is the country that we're to all oh, the second wave and we can't go outside? Here's Governor Cuomo in New York. And unfortunately, New York really is the template, was used as the template for how the rest of the country needs to respond to this virus, which was wrong. But New York became the test case that everybody else had to rely on for their own reactions. And, and the data coming out of New York, you know, we extrapolated from that what we should do for the rest, the rest of the country. And it was a mistake. It was a mistake. Here's the governor of New York State telling us all, oh, re- reacting to this stunning bit of news. You see, remember, we're told the lockdown is saving a lot of lives because lockdowns are preventing the spread of disease. Meanwhile, if you look at charts of different countries, every country has this, you know, oh, you see a big spike in cases and then the, the drop off in cases. Now, some, uh, you know, the, the numbers are different because the population sizes are different. But whether they've gone with extreme lockdown or minimal lockdown, like in the case of Sweden, the, the curve seems to be pretty much the same. So what, where is the where's the real benefit that we see from these lockdowns? It's always been assumed that if we if we do what they say with this, there'll be far few. Well, is it far fewer cases in the long run or far fewer cases week to week and extending it out? Because th- this is the concept that the people that are the lockdown forever, this is what they don't understand. If you have a six month long run of this virus uh, and, and let's say you, you do the bare minimum of mitigation and you end up with 100,000 dead, which is it looks like right now we're, we're heading for 100,000 dead between now and August. Whatever the models, you know, the models keep changing. Who knows? The models are wrong all the time. But if you're at 100,000 dead, if we did extreme mitigation for, let's say, 18 months. So if we if we kept the lockdown going for 18 months and you still end up with 100,000 dead, have you really limited the infections or are you just slowing the speed with which people are becoming infected? Now, it's tough to answer that. They would say, well, no, you're at 100,000 and not 200,000 dead over the same period of time. But is, is effectively everybody going to get inf- is, is everyone going to get infected with this over time? Because then the, the mortality rate is very likely to be what, whatever whatever it is for the disease is what it's going to be over the overall population. Are we heading for actual slow speed herd immunity or do we think that somehow we're going to just stop the disease? Because the, the the initial program it was 15 days to slow the spread, not to stop the spread. Now we've got people suggesting that we can stop the spread. If only we stay home. Uh, this is where Governor Cuomo has got a problem, though, because people are staying home and they're still getting infected. Play clip three. This is a surprise. Overwhelmingly, the people were at home. 
where there's been a lot of speculation about this. A lot of people, again, had opinions. A lot of people have been uh, arguing uh, where they come from and where we should be focusing. But if you notice, 18 percent of the people came from nursing homes. Less than 1 percent came from jail or prison. 2 percent came from the homeless population. 2 percent from other congregate facilities. But 66 percent of the people were at home. Uh, which is shocking to us. Disproportionately older. But by the way, older starts at 51 years old. Two-thirds of people that are hospitalized with COVID in the most recent, the most recent weekly data they have, two-thirds of them were on lockdown or staying home. And they're still getting infected. So... Either you, you, you look at this and you say, <clears throat> there are only a few possibilities here. You have people who are in the very limited travel they do, going to the grocery store, going to the pharmacy, still, even doing that once or twice a week, getting infected in numbers that are large enough to be, to be concerning. We're still seeing a, a, a steady stream of infections here in New York. And then... Across the country, you have more and more people who are still getting infected. But we're, we're home. The cell phone data has showed that over 90% of people have been adhering to the lockdown. Based on the GPS monitoring, that, I mean, it's monitoring, talk about the mass surveillance state. We're already out of mass surveillance state. It's just until somebody figures out how to really harness it and really use it. Well, they're called social media companies, Buck. But this is where we are. We still, even with lockdown, have... 300,000, this is from Dr. Scott Gottlieb, 300,000 new cases a day. So all these people are saying we're saving all these lives through lockdown. I mean, we're getting 300,000 cases a day. How many cases a day would we get if we went to work, but still tried to limit mass gatherings and, and took some of these, oh, it would be a million a day? It would be 10 million a day? And, and even with the lockdown, I mean, this is the, the people, part of the, the false choice that's set up here. And I know this is all kind of, it gets so conceptual and what's going on. But our society is at risk. I mean, our economy is dying. It is dying right now. I have the unemployment numbers and we'll talk about that in a moment. But the people who don't want to reopen keep saying that people will die if we reopen. And you say to this. Well, people are, are dying right now, even with the lockdown. And we're, and we're having this enormous societal, not just economic. I mean, our whole society is bearing this tremendous cost. And people won't soon forget the images of parents arrested in front of their children for going to play in a playground and law enforcement officers going along with it. My friends, I, I know that, you know, you do, you do not judge the whole community of hundreds of thousands of law enforcement officers across the country, but the actions of any one, two, or a few dozen. But perception is a different thing from reality here. And we've had a few very bad looks of overzealous, overaggressive law enforcement with regard to the social distancing and the lockdown stuff. There's going to be a cost to that as well. There's a lot that's going on here that is damaging to our society, damaging to our ability to feel good about who's in charge of this country uh, at the state, local, and at the, at the national level. And can we trust the bureaucracy? The answer is no, you cannot trust the bureaucracy. 
and they've lied to us and they've been wrong. And now they're getting more as their theories fall apart. And as the data is increasingly not supportive of their positions, they're lying to us. And then they're getting more aggressive. Right. So we see that they've been wrong and then they say, oh, no, we weren't wrong. And the models don't really matter anymore. They, they keep shifting and changing. Meanwhile, people are getting infected across the country. The economy's in free fall and they act like we've gotten we've done some huge public service by locking down most of the United States. Europe is opening up. Are they a bunch of murderers? Are they a bunch of barbarians who don't care about grandma dying? They're opening up. Sweden never really closed. But if you want to if you want to start having people, you know, open up their flower stores in times for in time for Mother's Day, you know, clothing stores, open up furniture stores, allow people to start going into offices, providing different services. You know, and I'm not saying don't wear masks inside. I'm not saying don't wash your hands and we shouldn't protect the vulnerable. But what what option are these people that think that it's so it's so brave and bold to go on TV and say, stay home? How long? How much longer? What are we trying to achieve? Give me the, the, the benchmarks about test and trace are, are absurd. They're insane. But it's all ultimately about another thing, and you know what it is. Who's going to get blamed? There's going to be death from COVID-19 for the rest of this year. It's 100% guaranteed. So now the discussion about reopening is really about who's going to get blamed for those deaths, not about how we stop them. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So I call these people warriors, and I'm actually calling now, as you know, John, the nation warriors. We have to be warriors. We, we can't keep our country closed down for years, and we have to do something. And uh, hopefully that won't be the case, John, but it could very well be the case. Uh, you won't be locked in a house, and some people... Uh, should stay if you're over a certain age. I mean, you've seen that, right? Elderly people or especially elderly people with with a problem, yeah. where they have a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, it attacks these people yeah. viciously. And I think they will be staying back, and we're strongly recommending that they do that. We're saying over 60, and especially over 60, if you have diabetes or heart problems or whatever problem you might have. So... Um, but we have to get our country open again. And you see it. Look, you cover it. People want to go back. You're going to have a problem if you don't do it. If you don't do it, you've got a very big problem. We got to go back. Trump is right. I hope that he's learned from listening to people who do not have not just the best interests of the, the, you know, the, the White House, uh, but the American people do not have the best interest of the American people at heart. The, the left views this all as an opportunity, unfortunately. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Evicted at this time through no fault of their own. You know, uh, my grandfather used to say, if you have your health, we can figure out anything else. We can fix anything else. If it's about money, we can, we'll figure it out. But you have to have your health. Uh, that's why public health versus the economy. I don't see the trade-off. Is it as easy as we can just ensure that everybody has their health? There are some very important, it's, it's very important for us to understand, there's very important false notions at the heart of the lockdown consensus. 
They can't save people from getting this disease. They've, they've said that, oh, we got to do this because you'd say, oh, well, they're they're mitigating it. It's meaning so few so far fewer people are getting this. Really? Are fewer people getting it in places like New York because a quarter of us have already been exposed and have antibodies and a lot of the most vulnerable people? Remember, your vulnerability to the disease isn't just a question of how badly your body reacts to it and how, how, how much it overwhelms your immune system. It's also the initial infection. So a lot of people who are particularly susceptible, uh, clearly in New York and in some other major urban areas, have already gotten the disease. So at some point, I mean, we talk about herd immunity and nobody ever really thinks this through. True herd immunity means there are so many people with antibodies to the disease that there are not enough vectors of spread that even those without antibodies are at real risk of getting it. And for certain diseases, for something like like measles, for example, which is hyper contagious. I mean, I don't really understand the mechanism of why, but measles is like if, if you're in a. This is why they've even had these these uh, people have done these parties for kids, which is I, I do not recommend. Uh, not, I don't have kids. I don't know anything about this stuff, but they'll have a party where one kid with measles shows up and all these other kids and they all get measles. Right. I mean, this is what this is what ends. Up, and, and it's like if you show up, you're, you're pretty much getting measles. Uh, the spread of the disease is much more difficult if there are people who have immunity all around you, even if you don't have immunity. That's the basics of herd immunity. And for some diseases, it's it's more like 80 percent. For measles, I think it's over 90, 95 uh, percent if you're going to have true herd. That's why the lowering of and I'm not getting into a vaccination debate. So don't start sending me all that stuff, people. I love you. Don't start sending me all your vax stuff. But uh, it, it, that's why when their vaccination level for measles drops down, there's all the people get all concerned just from a herd immunity standpoint. They're saying you're, you're creating greater. And this is why whooping cough and measles in recent years, there have been outbreaks in places. OK, and now we look at what the lockdown consensus is, is promising us, which is that they're able to protect our health. But are they really? We're doing exactly what they're telling us to do. We've been doing it for two months. How, how protected are we? How much has it really worked in New York? Or had the virus already spread far and wide and the most vulnerable? We can't protect nursing homes. We've been talking about that. The authorities made not just that made the absolute wrong decisions about how to protect our seniors in nursing homes. So they keep taking this position of the moral high ground like they're, you know, if it saves just one life, they'll protect every life. And then we, we think about it, we will, but you're not protecting every life, not even close. We're losing a lot of lives and suffering massive economic consequences and losing our constitutional rights and losing, honestly, at some point, what is the purpose why are you know, people are going to start to say, why am I getting up and, and doing this every day? And this is where you're going to see a spike in drug abuse and suicide and overdose and all these things. We're still locked at our homes. What forever? And I, I, I hate this stuff when people say we're never returning. We're never returning to, to normal. You know what? Shut up. If you're saying that we're going to return to normal. All right. We had 50 million people die from Spanish influenza in 1918. You know, 1918 was followed by the roaring 20s. We're going to return to normal. I hope the cost is nowhere near and I don't believe it will what it was in 1918. But, you know, if we can survive that, we are going to get through this and return to a place where people can gather and people can do things. And, you know, maybe just maybe there, there'll be a few uh, benefits of this. You know, the, the silver linings of it will be pretty substantial. Like, for example, the uh, the lunacy within the scientific community that they need to focus 
billions and billions of dollars and have all these conferences about climate change because by the IPCC projection, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change at the UN, by their projection, we might be two degrees Celsius warmer in 100 years and that will destroy the planet. Let's worry about not having a pandemic disease destroy modern civilization like now and for the next 10 years. How about that? That would be a better usage of time. You know that you who have been listening to the show, I've made this point many times before. There are real, this is, people know, I have, I've been bringing up antibiotic-resistant bacteria and really f- frightening stuff that's out there. I have mentioned pandemics way before this actually happened as what I'm scared about or what, what keeps me up at night. Uh, a- anybody with a passing familiar, and you know, how do I know that stuff? I'm not a scientist. History. I know more history than a vast majority of scientists. That I can tell you because I love history and read it all the time. And if you understand history, you know what the real risks are and you know what the real risks are not. And the people that are claiming we're all going to run out of food or that the world is going to melt because of CO2, they've been wrong in the past. They'll be wrong in the future. And there are reasons why they continue to allow their brains to make these same errors and try to push all the rest of us into believing them as well. But back to the governor here. We have to have our health. Uh, we should protect human life. I don't care if a person is old. You know, I'm old by your definition. Uh, I still think I have a value, right? My mother's old. You know, she's the most precious person to me. So protect every life. And I'm not going to trade off uh, public health. And we'll figure out the dollars and we'll figure out the economic impact. You know what Venezuela looks like? You see the uh, news footage of it, I'm sure, sometimes. N- N- Venezuela is, a, is an impoverished socialist narco state. I mean, it's run by narco traffickers. This is what, you know, we, we have all these people who don't even understand how poor the country is because the reason that Maduro and his thugs are even able to feed themselves and pay the army and stay in charge is because they're selling cocaine and heroin on the global market. Yeah, that's right. You know, you don't see a lot of that. And I, I do want to spend some time. I want to deep dive into it. So and producer Mark, remind me on this one. And maybe we'll get one of our many spec ops friends to join. You know, what would actually be great if we could have uh, maybe we'll reach out to Jack Carr, whose uh, book is doing so well right now. Savage Son, which I'm list- I am listening to the audiobook of it. Uh, and this is what I do when I'm doing chores and things like that. And when I say chores, that doesn't sound manly, right? Is there Bruce Mark? Is there a more manly word for chores? Household tasks? I don't know. There we go. Doing my household tasks. Thank you. I mean, it does sound a bit like I'm a butler. Oh, hello. I'm doing my household tasks. But it's better than chores. Chores sounds like, oh, I'm just going to go do my chores now. Uh, but yeah, I listened to Savage Son. It's, it's excellent so far. Um, I'm a few chapters in. Well, maybe we'll have him. Or we, we have so many people from the spec ops side who could talk to us just about, I mean, how, how crazy it is that this, this guy is... I've just seen the beginnings of it. I'm going to dig into it more. I'm going to talk to some friends in the community, too, to see what's going on here. But this guy who was SF who wanted to have a coup, basically be a one-man coup against Maduro. I mean, I joke around with friends of mine all the time that, you know, with when I had enough agency and spec ops guys all drinking together, you know, hey, you got enough, enough brain power and firepower here to, uh, to overthrow a small country. But we're kidding. It seems like maybe this guy didn't think that that people were kidding when they talk like that. Uh, so we'll, we'll get into that tomorrow. I think that's a fascinating situation. But I, but I bring up Venezuela because the way that Cuomo talks about things, if you have your health, you have everything. Well, you know, it's really hard to stay healthy when you don't have an economy. 
it's really hard to stay healthy. Think of all of the people out there right now who don't have COVID-19 but have serious health problems. And what happens when they can't get routine medical care? What happens when they have to wait for chemo, for surgeries, for all kinds of heart procedures, which is happening all over the country? What happens to your health when you are told to stay indoors, not see your loved ones, um, not enjoy life? Okay, watching Netflix and eating ice cream is fun for a week or two. It has now become sad. We don't want to do this anymore. Well, we want to do it sometimes, but we don't want to do it all the time, all right? which is basically where we are right now. You cannot have a healthy society if you do not have a functioning society. Ask any prisoner. Take a look at anybody who's ever been sent to federal prison. And I mean, it's it's a stark reminder of really how how brutal prison life really is psychologically and physically. And I don't just mean because of the possibility, the high high probability of being assaulted and, and physically abused inside a prison, which says a lot about our, our state and its ability to protect people that are in its custody conversation for another time. But if you find any, if you look at anybody who's gone into federal prison there, they look, I mean, they usually lose a ton of weight. Their cheeks become sunken in their eyes become lighter. I mean, they just, they look worn and defeated. We're doing this to ourselves increasingly as a society. We're making people worn out and defeated. Can't see your family. Can't see your friends. Can't do your job. Can't really go out. And let, let, let's be honest about this. Going out with a mask outside is better than nothing, but it's not great. It's not great. I want to breathe fresh air. I don't want to be sucking in some cotton mask made in China. Thank you very much. That's not what I, that's not what I want. Oh, but it's fine, and you have to do it to protect other people. You know, Cuomo is representative of this mentality that we, we have control over this. And this is where you get to the, a fundamental philosophical distinction between the lockdown consensus and the reopen, uh, the reopen movement. The lockdown consensus suggests that if only we listen to them, lives will be saved, and that's all that matters. The reopen, the reopen movement is saying lives are being lost. You can't stop the spread of this disease, not even close. And you're destroying everything around our society by doing this lockdown. And you've changed what the initial mission is. And you won't give us an end date. When is enough enough? And now we're hearing, oh, but, but, but about the second, the second wave. Here's, here's a little fact. If there's going to be a second wave because we start living life normally again, there will be a second wave in June or in September or in January. It doesn't matter. It's coming. If what we're doing isn't enough, meaning if the mitigation and if we're not able to get therapeutics and get research going that would prevent a second wave, if what we're doing isn't enough, it doesn't matter if we open next week or next month. The second wave is coming, my friends. Now, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Remember this, too. What happened to the Spanish flu? We didn't beat it. We didn't even understand. This will give you a sense of how well, and this is a whole other conversation, but we think that our medical our medical world is so advanced and so sophisticated. And, and really, I mean, you go back 100 years and our knowledge of medicine was primitive. And I mean, around the whole world. I mean, the smartest doctors, our knowledge in, you know, in 1920, 1918, primitive. We were we were at the basics 
the early phase of medical knowledge. And yet the Spanish flu faded away. Now, how did that happen? A lot of people got infected. A lot of people had immunity. And then the human race just moved on. We will get past this. It is a guarantee. In the meantime, what we're trying to figure out is what kind of countries and societies and lives will we be able to lead now and after this thing passes? And as I've been telling you, lock yourself up and hide from all of this for everybody, for some people that have particularly high vulnerability. But also remember that the people that have particularly high vulnerability, if, it, if we could uh, focus energy and protection measures on those who do feel they're at higher risk, uh, wouldn't we then be in a better position to make sure that they're living fuller, better, longer, healthier, happier lives? Right. If, if we did have procedures in place to make sure that, you know, if you're going to go to a nursing home to visit your loved ones, gosh darn it, you know, we're going to check and make sure you're totally clear of the virus and that we have the best measures in place and that you can, if, if you are going to go and see your, your loved relatives there, you can do so without endangering them. That kind of focus and, and those kinds of procedures would make things better for everybody. But instead, what we have is this slapdash approach of, well, you know, we're going to protect everybody, but we're going to send New York, New York State's going to send people with COVID-19 back into the nursing facility and tell us all that they care so much about protecting lives. Cost doesn't matter. Cost doesn't matter, huh? Interesting for the state of New York to say that, especially given that they were unwilling to make additional uh, to, to take additional precautions and procedures in order to protect those who are most vulnerable from this. The moral blackmail we all face on this question is going to be massive. People don't want to admit that they were wrong. They want to have they have this need to believe that the scientific consensus is accurate and will protect them. And they also do want to use this as the, the ultimate issue. This from a purely political perspective. Put aside all the human death and carnage and, and the terrible stuff that's going on here. Just from a purely political perspective, this is a a uh, the, the biggest opportunity the Democrats could have possibly been given by circumstance. A, an economy that is crashing and all this blame that they're trying to put on Trump so they can put forward a, a pathetic candidate. I mean, Joe Biden's a pathetic candidate for the presidency. We all know that. But they might get it. They might get it done because of circumstance and they're not letting that go you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast look here's the story there's nothing i can do to satisfy the media the democrats or the fake news and i understand that we did the greatest job mobilization in history with the ventilators and I don't think there was a story. What a great job we did. Now we're helping Germany and we're helping many other countries, uh, France, Spain yes. and and Italy, by the way, and Nigeria, sending 250 to Nigeria ventilators. And two months ago, we didn't have any ventilators for ourselves. We were we, the cupboards were bare right now. They were bare. People have no idea. There's not a thing I can do to satisfy the fake news, and there's not a thing I can do to satisfy Democrats. It's true. Just look at the ventilator story. I mean, we were in, we were in a, a national mass panic over our ventilator deficit. And now we're like the ventilator superpower of the planet. 
In fact, we are the ventilator superpower of the planet. You don't see a lot of stories about that, do you? Not much less interest. Trump wasn't using the Defense Production Act. I saw so many journos making that case. And then he did use the Defense Production Act. And we got plenty of, and he, and he already had been negotiating with companies, and we got plenty of ventilators now. More than we need. We're giving them to other people. Oh, but Trump didn't, he doesn't act fast enough, they say. These people are full of it. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are we going to see a fourth stimulus, or do you think you're going to wait and see how the first three are working? To people ask me, I remind them that we have no money. We have no rainy day account. We have no savings account. The $3 trillion that we've already passed out is imaginary money. It's, it's being borrowed basically from China. So the irony is we got the virus from China, and now we're going to be more dependent by borrowing more money from China. The only thing that recovers our economy is opening the economy. It's not a lack of money. It's a lack of confidence. If you let people have commerce, if you let them trade, if you take them out from forcible home arrest, our economy will recover. But if you keep everybody under home arrest and say you cannot practice your business, you cannot sell your goods, there will continue to be economic calamity. And all these blue state governors who don't want to open their state, now they're clamoring for federal money to bail them out because no state revenue is coming in. You don't have any money. What could be more straightforward than what Rand Paul is saying? And yet it feels like Rand Paul here is a breath of fresh air. You know this. I've always thought that uh, Senator Paul was a a guy who does does believe what he says. I mean, he he is a believer in the ideology of limited government and uh, and liberty. I'm going to even call it. I wouldn't even call it libertarianism because Rand Paul is not really a classic libertarian in, in some ways, but an ideology focused on liberty and limited government. I, I think Rand Paul is a believer. I've always had a. You know, I'm not a, not a personal soft spot for the guy, but I feel like he's been because I, mean, I don't know him. I've only interviewed him a couple of times. And in interviews, I'm going to say he's kind of like, well, you know, it's it sound like I'm a little bored. And, you know, he's not really that he doesn't really love talking to the media. I get the, I think he likes TV. I don't think he really loves doing radio, uh, but he, he's a, he seems to me like a principled politician. Now, that doesn't that's not the same thing as saying someone's perfectly principled. It just means that for a politician, I think that Rand Paul uh, does stick to stick to what he believes for the most part. And that's impressive to me, or at least it's noteworthy to me. Uh, But look, he's saying we can't there is no restoring the economy without getting back some of uh, there is no restoring the economy without pulling back on these lockdowns. There's no way we can do it. There's nothing that we can do that will pull back the that will restore the economy unless we pull back the lockdowns. And that then gets me to, you know, I I had a very interesting exchange uh, on Twitter. So it's public. So I'm not uh, I'm not, you know, betraying any kind of confidence or anything. I mean, I never would. But uh, I had an interesting back and forth with somebody who is a uh, he is a guy who founded a very large, uh, I believe it was a genetic research company. Um, But his name is Balaji Srinivasan. And I know about this guy or I think it's actually pronounced Balaji. We have a mutual friend told me this guy is really smart and he's a little bit more of a he he doesn't believe that we should have the country locked down forever. And he understands the pain that people are feeling right now. But he's a pretty pro lockdown guy. And so we had this exchange I I wanted to, to share with you. Um, about the different, you know, when, when you deal with someone 
on this issue who it seems is actually smart from the other side. Here's kind of how this goes. You had Bethany Mandel, who some of you know is a conservative, a conservative um, author and writer. And she wrote the following. And, and this is an exchange that all happened. I thought this is worth sharing. with you. She wrote, you can call me a grandma killer. I'm not sacrificing my home, food on the table, all of her docs and dentists, every form of pleasure, museums, zoos, restaurants, all my kids' teachers in order to make other people comfortable. If you want to stay locked down, do. I'm not. Um, and then she wrote, doesn't mean it won't be done responsibly, but I am just, I am done. I feel lied to about the terms of this lockdown, and I regret ever trusting that it would be done responsibly. I think she's right. I mean, I think that that's, a, that's an appropriate uh, response to, to the lockdown response. I think that this is well within uh, where we should be given what we've been put through as a country at this point and what they've said to us. Now, this gentleman, Mr. Balaji, uh, Balaji came forward and, uh, and, you know, look, this is where it's so rare to find someone on the other side, so someone who's pro-lockdown, who's, who's smart and not a, a, a shrill, screaming, you want to you kill grandma maniac. So this is why I wanted to share this with you, because I keep giving you, I keep having people on the show uh, who are, Generally speaking, with me and being skeptical that the response was necessary of the national lockdown, at least, and that, you know, there's no politics involved in this with the anti-Trump side. But here's how the other side approaches it. Those who are trying to at least engage, whether you agree with this or not, at least they're trying to engage. I wish people ask me often, why don't you have liberals on the show disagree with you? Because it just escalates. And, and if you have on radio people who all of a sudden are shouting or trying to talk over each other, it's just bad. It's bad. And also, you know, it, it's you have limited time and, and to have a debate format in radio, especially if you're going to have the host. I mean, I determine what the time is. Right. I determine how much people get to speak on this show like radio. The host of a radio show is the king of the kingdom. And so to have somebody else on, if you're going to debate them. This is why, like, one of the one of the cheapest things is when, you know, they love to uh, some hosts love to do this. They'll take a call from someone who's clearly, you know, conservative will take a call from a host who's uh, a guest rather, who's clearly an idiot and not actually up for the debate of challenging them and just yell at them and call them an idiot on TV. You know, this is a little bit like uh, the the conservative radio equivalent of of somebody who wants to watch those videos of like the jackass guys back in the day who would you remember those guys, Mark, who would like light m80s in their underwear and do crazy stuff like that you know what i'm talking about yeah of course the jackass guys yeah the jackass guys you know yeah I mean, you kind of watch it but you know, you know it's really not you know and just having somebody on air and you're, going, hey, you're an idiot you're an idiot you're dumb you know yelling at people and being all it doesn't help anybody it doesn't help anybody and it's cheap it's cheap theater so i want this guy balaji i mean I, I can't get him to join me on on well actually you know what i'll ask if he'll join me on radio i feel like he'd say no but i'll ask him if he'll join me on radio we'll see Um, But he said one problem with this logic, and this is in response to Bethany, one problem with this logic is that the economy is other people. So if older people stay home along with millions of cautious people, plus many tourists and business travelers, you don't actually get the economy back. Other countries have contained the virus. It's doable. So he's saying we need to get to full on containment and then we end the lockdowns. I think that that's almost impossible. And if we wait that long, the economy will be dead. But. This is this is actually where the debate is among serious people. Um, So I responded to him and I said, when people see lots of folks who are low risk under 50, 
going about their daily lives just fine, other people will become less scared and economic activity will grow over time. Essentially, let people who are at low risk and who are willing to take that risk engage in more activity and not just economic activity, engage in more of day to day life. Okay. Balaji wrote back to me, over 50s are 30% of the population and significantly more of the net worth. If you add in folks with pre-existing conditions, a big chunk of the U.S., white-collar folks, foreign tourists, that's a big chunk of the economy, I guess we'll see. Now, see, notice that's, that's a signal when you're in this world of fighting. This guy's a blue check with a, with a pretty big following. You know, I'm a blue check with a big following or pretty big following, whatever, uh, reasonably considerable following on Twitter. And uh, but when someone says something like, I guess we'll see. Oh, oh, you mean they actually want to have an exchange of ideas because they know they don't know. You know, one of my recurring mantras here on the show, my recurring theme. Some of you may not like the mantra term. Right. But some of the recurring themes that we have are things like no one can predict the future. And people who tell you they can are lying to you, thinking that their analysis may be good about the future is one thing. But if they tell you that they can see the future, they're, they're lying to you. Uh, so the fact that he just said, I guess we'll see, man. OK, well, now here's someone unlike the you want to kill grandma. You know, you have so much that you want grandma to die. You know, it's usually grandma too, not grandpa. I think that's a very interesting, but it's always you want grandma to die. That's become the line, which is a horrible and stupid thing to say. I mean, I love my grandparents uh, very much. Unfortunately, they've all passed a long, a long time ago. But this is just when people are trying to shut others down through a, a, a loud moral blackmail. So uh, to his points, though. To his points here about how over 50s are 30 percent of the population. That's a fair point. And that there's a lot of wealth concentrated in the over 50s as well. OK, but let's now let, let's now look at this for a second. If people are returning to work who are at low risk and therefore exposing themselves, many of them already have. I mean, I, I think it's 50 50. I have antibodies and that's just a guess. I don't know. I, I, I don't I think it's 50 50 given the situation that I was in here in New York during the maximum spread of the disease. A lot of people under 50 already have antibodies. If they return to work, they will be possibly exposed, but then they will get antibodies. Maybe they'll get sick for a week or two and a very, very small percentage might end up in the hospital and be in really bad shape, but it's a very small percentage. Uh, But that means more and more people as we're in the reopening will have antibodies, which means that the vectors, we start getting to this herd immunity concept, the vectors for the spread of the disease are fewer and then you have people who perhaps are in their 50s and maybe even going up in their 60s who start to feel more comfortable because it's less likely that the younger people that are already out there and working it's less likely that they'll be at a high risk of contracting the disease from them and you see the there's a, a snowball effect i would also point out that we already have essential workers who are going out and doing their jobs so we, we've taken a segment of the economy and said, well, that part of the economy is going to still go. It's not like we're in a true lockdown. And there are some risks to those essential workers and to people that are coming into contact with them, their family. This is how we get to the continued spread of this disease, even though we're all supposed to be on lockdown. But see, my point is, if we add low risk workers into the mix here to the essential workers, we start we're expanding the economy. We're, we're returning and getting closer to normal um and then uh he gave me a graph of the percentage of you know age percentage which was just a helpful data point and and we we clarified that and then i said as for waiting until new infections are zero for reopen which is this is where i i have a, a disagreement with mr balaji 
Um, 66% of New York hospital admissions, as we talked about here earlier in the show, were from people locked away in their homes. The virus is still spreading and the virus is still going up in many places across the country. So unless people believe that we're going to go to an even more extreme lockdown phase than what we're already in, which to me just sounds completely insane. We're never going to get to full containment of the disease under our current projections. A country this size of this many people, we have to, you know, unless we're going to say there's no such thing as essential workers anymore. No, no one, unless you work in a doctor, unless you work in a hospital um, and you're trying to treat COVID patients, everyone just stay home and we're just going to like, you know, live on the food you got in your fridge for a week or two or a month. Now, a lot of people would say, Buck, I mean, people don't have food. In- I know that's why it's crazy. You can't do this, right? You can't actually completely freeze the economy or people literally will go hungry and starve. So, uh, you know, that's that's why I that's what I got to do. And then I also said to him, docs, I've spoken to say with velocity and scope of. Oh, no, I asked him about your thoughts on test and trace. And he said, Docs, and I said, Docs, I've spoken to with velo- about velocity and scope of existing spread and deploying tracers across the country to hotspots. This is going to be minimally helpful. I'm going to be right on this one. This test and trace theory, this is a, this is absurd. This is not going to work. I mean, people that are saying it's going to work don't know what they're talking about. We also have many empty testing facilities, I wrote, all over the country already. And with asymptomatic spread, it seems unless we're going to force everyone to get tested every two weeks, the value of a national testing surge will be limited um so you know this is and, and and then we had a nice i said you know thank you for your time he said thank you for your time we had, a, we had a kind of a nice close and so you know but this this is if you really want to have a debate with somebody about what's going on this is where it is can we get to the point where we fully control this virus and there's almost no risk of going outside and can we do that without destroying the economy and ruining our society i say no some people say yes Uh, And they'll point to particularly other countries that they say have controlled uh, the virus very, very well so far. Australia being one of them. But Australia, remember, they're on the flip of us uh, in terms of their seasons on the flip side. I'm wondering how well they'll do this summer. And also some countries have a much less uh, dense population. And, you know, there's just certain things about America that it's going to make it very hard to fully control the disease. And we're losing you know, I haven't even mentioned to you yet because I got all fired up about this, but we've got 3.2 million people who have filed for unemployment for the first time last week. That brings the total number of jobs lost during the coronavirus crisis to 33.5 million. We are heading to 40, maybe 50 million lost jobs from this. Now, I saw this in the Wall Street Journal. I believe it was the Wall Street Journal. It was a poll that said, 77% of laid off workers think that they will return to their old job after the stay at home orders. Almost, you know, that, we're getting close to 80% of people think they're just going to take their old job. This is where I have to say, I hope they're right. I am pretty confident they are wrong. The costs that have been, uh, that have mounted for these businesses and also what the businesses will be able to operate at even when the lockdowns end, it's going to be a, a very meager income stream for a lot of businesses once they open their doors this is going to be a long drawn out phased in process no matter what and that's if they make the right decisions and stop saying oh the second wave and we're all going to die and you know if they they take uh if they take the right path here it's still going to be painful it's still going to be difficult so i don't think that 80 percent or so of these of, of people who think this i don't think they're correct uh, I think that there are going to be a lot of lost jobs and jobs that aren't coming back because there are industries that won't be able to sustain, even when they reopen, won't be able to sustain the workforce that they once did. 
What do we do with that? Uh, but for the forever lockdown crowd, we, we are not South Korea. We are not Australia. We are not Japan. Um, and no one can even figure out what they've done that we haven't done that would let us even try to get to the level of virus control that so far they've had. Uh, I mean, people will say test and trace, but that, that doesn't make any sense. Asymptomatic spread is 50 percent of the disease. You're going to test and trace 330 million people. Think about this. Think about the infrastructure and the resources and the cost of even trying to do this. It's just not even going to. Meanwhile, we're getting 300,000 infections a day. You know, one tenth of one percent of people are actually getting hospitalized and or dying from this, which means you're getting every day, you know, every few days, a million more people who are going to end up with antibodies. Every few days, a million more people who are going to end up with antibodies. I mean, it seems like we're just heading toward a herd immunity. We just won't talk about it that way because we want to pretend that we can just save lives across the board without the economic costs. This is all very complicated. I mean, I'll admit that it's all very tough. And as uh, Mr. Balaji says, we'll see. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, I got some good news to share with all of you. You know, we talked about the story of Texas stylist Shelly Luther and who said that feeding her children was not selfish and that the people who worked for her who were going hungry themselves so they could feed their children and they wanted to go back and start styling people's hair again, they were not being selfish by doing their jobs. Well, darn it, Texas is still Texas, it turns out. The Supreme Court of Texas has decided to order the immediate release of jailed Texas salon owner Shelley Luther. She was sentenced to a week in prison by a judge who really did not do himself uh, any favors in the way that that whole thing came out. Uh, and she now has a GoFundMe page that has raised $500,000 for her. Yeah. Still America, my friend. Still Texas, for sure. She is uh, released now. She has been released from, from prison. She's not going to spend seven days there. And these judges in the Texas Supreme Court uh, said that the punishment was excessive and the jailing was unnecessary. This is all from the local affiliate down in Dallas. No Texan, quote, should face imprisonment for peacefully resisting an order that temporarily closed a lawful business and drastically limited their ability to provide for their family through no fault of their own. God bless Texas, my friends, doing the right thing, showing the country how it's done here. And God bless these judges for making the right call. That's what we like to see. It does feel like America after all, doesn't it? Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Team Buck, special treat today. And I've been trying to get this guy on the show for a while, but, you know, he's got beautiful weather. He's got to go out and surf sometimes. He's got his own fantastic three-hour radio show on a wonderful station in San Diego that we now share, KFMB. So, I mean, the best San Diego station that's out there, and he's doing a great show. He's also on The First, which is on Pluto TV, where you can all see me, and you can see Jesse Kelly. You can see Mike Slater, the one and only Mike Slater of The Mike Slater Show. My friend, finally, I'm glad that our people were able to get through to your people. Yeah, right, like I have people. Welcome to my kitchen, Buck. Yeah, it's... uh. It's quite, a, it, I mean, it's funny because your kitchen is, is like twice the size of my New York apartment, which is yet again, another <laughs> reason, another reason why I should be moving from New York City right away. Let's talk about Cali and first. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think of you often. I'm not kidding, because I think 
other than maybe like an Iowa meatpacking plant, you might be in the worst place in the country right now. Literally, not only New York City, but you're like, like I can see behind you. You're like in the densest part of New York City. What in the world? Like, can you go outside? Like, what are you doing? I, I can I can walk my dog through Times Square in less than three minutes from where I am on foot. That's how close I am to the epicenter. And by the way, Times Square, that area was the biggest outbreak uh, of any zip code in Manhattan of the five boroughs was Times Square. So basically, I mean, I, I live next to like the, the, the most hot zone in Manhattan, although there's other bigger hot zones in the five boroughs. And yeah, it's the most densely packed part of the whole city. And during the maximum spread of the virus, I was on the subway because I do two radio shows, as I think you may know. Uh, I was on the subway four times a day. And, and it's one of the three most crowded subway lines. So to your question about whether I was at a uh, high risk of acquiring this, um, it's like I was running an experiment saying, hey, guys, I really want to get COVID-19. That's what I was doing accidentally. <laughs> uh, but you're out there in sunny. Cal- you're out there in sunny California. So t- tell me this. You know, p- people have been honestly, a lot of people have been somewhat uh, befuddled, although I think your uh, your weather, your inherent social distancing of being in a car versus being a mass transportation. And I'd also say you're kind of generally healthier lifestyle. I mean, I know you guys have like pet therapists and do a lot of like yoga in the sun, but yoga in the sun is good for you. And, uh, and it's certainly less likely to get COVID-19 than you would being indoors on a, on a crowded subway. So how is California doing right now? Gavin Newsom saying that they may actually open up stores. What next week? I think Friday's the plan. And now there's a whole drama there because classic Gavin Newsom, classic politician is just like, oh, I think yesterday or Tuesday, he said, we're going to open up stores on Friday and we'll tell you which stores on Thursday. And it's like, well, geez, Gavin, like, like if you're a business owner, you don't, you can't just be like snap your fingers and open up 12 hours later. We need a little more advice. So we don't even know yet exactly what the details are on who's going to be allowed to open or whatnot. But I don't know, I think uh, San Diego in particular has done a really good job. I mean, our, our healthcare capacity, we're, we're like way under the healthcare capacity line. Um, people have done a good job kind of staying put, but I also think people are ready to get back out there and get back out to the beach. Are your beaches open right now? I mean, I know that near you, what is it, uh, La Jolla? Is that where one of the places where they have those really beautiful beaches? I mean, could I, if I were out there yeah. visiting Shea Slater, could I, go, could I go to the beaches of La Jolla or are they shut down? I don't. I don't even know if Buck Sexton could afford a house on the beach. Definitely not. not. Definitely even. not. Not even close, Buck dude. I live in a one bedroom, man. Are you kidding me? Producer Mark needs to get me a guest bed. He actually has a, a real home. Yeah, I'm far away from the water, but yeah. Um, no, you can go. You know, you got to move. You got to be moving. You can't sit down. All that stuff. But what's encouraging is our sheriff's actually done a pretty good job, even though he's pretty questionable on a lot of things. And the Riverside County, which is just north of San Diego County, uh, he just came, put out with a statement yesterday, I think, saying he's not going to turn Riverside County into a police state. He's not going to enforce, uh, you know, businesses who aren't doing their whatever they're supposed to do properly. He's going to trust the people to make the right decision. And that has to be the proper posture moving forward. I know you've talked about the, the salon owner out in uh, Dallas. Luther. Seven days in jail. Like, what are, we, what are you talking about? Well, you know, they've they ordered her They've ordered her released. They've ordered her released. Oh, did they? Today, oh, yes. Thank goodness. I mean, they just ordered. Like, what, what is that? What is the point of that? What are we even trying to prove with moves like that? Luckily, our law enforcement here is doing a pretty good job. And Orange County, so that was a couple of days ago, uh, Gavin Newsom ordered Orange County beaches closes closed as like a, like a punitive measure like 
Orange County people, you didn't social distance enough, so I'm going to order just your beaches closed. But again, checks and balances, the local sheriff in Orange County said, listen, I'm not going to enforce that stuff. You can go on the beach if you want at different times, and they're not cracking down on it like Gavin Newsom would want, at least, and that's good. People are being pretty sensible. I just feel like that's also, it's so much more American to have people in, in positions of authority on issues like this say, hey, guys, well, I'm going to trust you all to be responsible, and I don't really even have... I mean, the legal authority for some of this stuff is questionable at best, but they're just saying, look, I mean, we're, we're, this is a public information campaign, not a demand at, at gunpoint campaign to do everything they say, especially given how much this stuff has been shifting in recent, recent weeks where, you know, what's safe, what's not, where the information is actually taking us. Uh, you know, Go- Governor Newsom, it sounds like he hasn't been, I mean, Cuomo has now, has, has, has now uh, gotten the Buckster upset with a lot of the stuff that he's done. I mean, he's made some horrific decisions, and notably the, the stuff on nursing homes is just, I can't believe, with the incompetence. Has Newsom, you know, I, I'm thinking that the Democrats are going to have to backfill somebody for Biden, and it's not, I don't mean in a VP sense. I mean, they're going to just say, oh, but it's not going to be Biden. Uh, we've been hearing this about Cuomo for a while. Newsom people also have been talking about a little bit. I, is he... You know, is he coming out of this whole situation looking pretty good? Maybe because California just is inherently a better off state to handle this because of what I said, you know, the weather and the things that you all know about. Um, but how's Newsom doing? What's the report card? Well, yeah. So, so first of all, Newsom's slick, right? And he's, he's pretty shady, but like he's the slick politician, younger, kind of hip, cool. People love him just pre-pandemic. Like people fall for his thing. You know what I mean? He's got like a kind of slickster he is smooth like i would i would buy i would buy a vehicle or a gently used kitchen appliance from him no question (laughs) that's what i'm getting at so it's worked for a long time and listen this is a conservative who has no love for gavin newsom i think he's done a pretty good job i'm giving a lot of grace the name of the game for me this whole time has been grace to everybody the politicians to your neighbor to everyone because no like you said no one really knows what's going on we're starting to get a little better handle but there's still so many unknowns so a lot of these politicians have been given a lot of grace to, but Gavin Newsom, I think, has done a pretty good job. Again, they're putatively shutting down the beach. Maybe he's holding on to power a little longer than he should. I think he needs to loosen the reins a little bit, but it looks like he is, as you talked about, kind of opening up businesses. I think he's done an okay job. Now, the one big thing that we're going to have to start getting some answers for is he spent a billion dollars on masks from China. And I know speed was important, so you got to kind of balance that out when you know everyone is in full panic mode. But now we're getting reports that masks across the country from China like, aren't even close to the N95 standards. It's like, like 15% of what the actual standard is. So one day we're going to find out the quality of these masks that he bought for a billion dollars. And I'm sure, there's, I'm sure it's going to be like 10 times the cost of what the masks normally are. Uh, but, you know, he had to act fast and we'll see. But that's like the one kind of big glaring thing that Gavin Newsom's done maybe wrong. I mean, look, that's from a conservative point of view. That's a pretty, yeah. a pretty strong report card. I'm seeing here. I that, think so. I'm seeing here that California, uh, you know, Los Angeles has what over twenty eight thousand. Los Angeles County has twenty eight thousand. I know you're in San Diego, but twenty eight thousand confirmed cases, about thirteen hundred deaths. Um, California is a is a fraction overall. What is it? 54,000 confirmed cases for the whole state. And now that's confirmed cases with testing, right? That's not taking into account the serology extrapolation of how many people have, have antibodies to this. 
but you guys are at a fraction of the deaths that we have here in New York. You have a larger population. It, it feels like California, you know, as much as the politics of it would dictate it opening much more slowly, it looks like you guys are coming out of this thing okay. Am I missing something? No, it's pretty wild. And, and what's frustrating in the name of unknowns is we may never know why. Uh, we did a segment a while back about super spreaders and how a city can do all the things right, but one super spreader, I think in South Korea, he was known as case 31 or 33 or something like that. One super spreader can like sneeze on a doorknob and all these people get it and it spreads like crazy. And people are gonna look at all different areas of the country and around the world and they're gonna try to come up with reason. They're like, oh, you know, the Italians kiss on the cheeks, right? Or, or this country doesn't have good healthcare or people are gonna try to find like race angles or socioeconomic angles or whatever. People are always gonna try to explain it. And honestly, it's, it's frustrating because it could just be ah, New York. I mean, New York's super dead. So that's kind of like something. But people are like, oh, there was just a couple super spreaders and it just spread it way more. And there's really no answer. It just kind of happened that way. Well, you know, maybe the, in California, New, there weren't a lot of super spreaders. New York is, in a sense, the super spreader because the uh, the evidence that they're they're yeah. pointing to today on the front pages of a bunch of newspapers is that New York cases. We essentially created this. You know, the petri dish of New York was overflowing, and then travel from New York once it had spread all over here to the rest of the country, seeded outbreaks in. Louisiana, like for Mardi Gras, for example, seeded outbreaks in Florida, in Michigan, in, in places all across the country. So one place, you know, you're talking about it on an individual level where one human being could end up being responsible for it. And there was a I think there was also a case in South Korea, somebody who went to a ch- went to a church. Is that is that the same? Uh, and this might be a different one. Went to a church and like 100 people in the church ended up getting infected somehow yeah. I mean, for whatever. Yeah. You know. So can you like so what, so what kind of grand conclusions can you make about that area in South Korea about their socioeconomic levels or culture or whatever? When it was just like someone who went to church and sneezed a couple times. What right? do you think? What do you think? So of, it's hard to make conclusive statements. What do you think of Governor Pritzker of Illinois saying, yeah, no church until there's a vaccine? I think people were like, what? You know, settle down, settle down, chubby Beelzebub. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> There's a couple power trips out there that we're seeing, right? So the uh, the, the Harvard uh, judge from uh, in Texas that we were just talking about, like, that's a power trip move, man, to put that guy for seven seven days, put that one by my. This is another power trip move, right? Like, if other businesses can have people keep their distance, then why couldn't a church? Also, have people keep their distance. That makes no sense. Why single out churches? I don't get that. I, I, I think that there's a hostility among people who love power of the state to the, you know, they always talk about the separation of church and state when they want to bash the church. And now all of a sudden when the state has taken on all this power for itself, churches are the, the whatever, whatever essential is, churches are the opposite of essential to these people. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Okay, so this is good. We need to keep, a, keep an eye out for the Cincinnatuses. So who who are the Cincinnatuses out there who are going to? Are you referring to the Roman kind of the Roman general who was? Back is this a Roman general called out of retirement to save the republic? Thing is that is that what we're going That's for? That's what I'm talking about. Look he, at the you. The point of his story, as you know, is he gave the power back, right? Yeah. So who are the governors who are going to give this power back once they've had a bloodlust taste for it? Uh, and, and in a way that they haven't had in their career, certainly, will they give it back to the people? Look, I, I've so been the guy you talked about. It looks like no, he ha- he's not. And let me just remind everybody: we're talking to Mike Slater, who is the host of the Mike Slater Show, KFMB, the greatest radio station in San Diego in San Diego County. 
which I'm also on. So the two of us are on it, which clearly makes it the best radio station anywhere. Which, by the way, like we, I just, we, for people who don't know, I have been riding your coattails for like 10 years now, I think. I think everywhere you go, I end up following you. So I appreciate that. Well, I was going to tell you, I mean, now, now I'm jumping ahead. I was going to say, we at the first on Pluto TV have managed to put together, you have like two of the nicest, funniest, best people on radio with Jesse Kelly and Mike Slater. And, you know, I'm just like, everybody should be watching this. Everybody should listen to this lineup. I mean, legitimately, for those of you who don't know, listen to my show. Mike Slater is one of the nicest people. It has been since he started the Blaze. He's actually so nice that at first I was like, is he really this nice? Turns out he actually is. He's that good of a guy. Yeah, that's right. I'm throwing, I'm throwing it all your way now. How are you handling it? How about that, buddy? Nicest guy on radio. Very talented. Great show. The Mike Slater Show. You should all be checking out and listening. He has a podcast, too. You can listen to the Mike Slater Podcast. Let me ask you this. When, when do you think... Are we breaking the dam here? Are we breaking the dam in, in the reopen nationally, or is this going to be a grinded out state-by-state, phase-up, phase-down fight? What are you seeing? Okay, yeah, here's, here's what I think. And who knows, right? I've always thought, always thought for the last week or so, that it's going to be kind of like a bell curve, and people are going to be able to make up their own minds, and people are going to go into their own uh, categories. How much time do we have? Do I have two minutes to explain this? About a minute. Can I do this in two minutes? You got a minute. I can only give you a minute because we got a station break. Okay. Go ahead. So in, in, in technology adaption, people, there are people who uh, buy the first iPhone as soon as it comes out, and then there's a certain percentage of people who kind of wait a little while, and then there's a certain percentage of people who wait until they really need one, and then there's a certain percentage of people who don't buy an iPhone until there's no more flip phones. And it's a bell curve. Early adapters, you can Google that a little more. I think that's the same thing here. I think a very small percentage of people want to go out to concerts now. A little bit more people are like, I'm going to wait a week or so. And then you have me who's like, ah, I'm going to kind of like wait like a month. I got a two-month-old here. I don't want to push anything. I'll wait like a month. And then you have some people who rightfully are like, ah, I'm not really going to go anywhere for a while because I have health issues or I'm older or whatever. So I think it's like a natural bell curve distribution of when people are going to go. And, and people are going to make up their own minds based off the information we have. We don't need Gavin Newsom or any governor telling, you're, you are allowed, you're not allowed, you can, you can't. I think people are adult and wise enough to do that up by themselves. If I come out to San Diego so we can hang out with the fine people and the audience of KFMB, can you also teach me to surf? Uh, I'm not the best surfer, but I can definitely treat you to a green smoothie. Maybe that's the California kale smoothie is what's keeping us healthy out here. Maybe that's it. All right. I'll take it. Mike Slater, everybody. Check out the Mike Slater <laughs> show. Good. They're not good. They're very overrated. <laughs> we got Mike Slater's uh, show. He's on. What what time? Uh, Eastern time. Are you on uh, KFMB? One new. Noon to 3 Pacific, so 3 to 6 Eastern time. 3 to 6 Eastern time. Uh, check him out. And uh, Mr. Slater, great to talk to you, sir. You stay safe out there. God bless you and yours. We'll talk soon. Yeah, man, brother. Appreciate you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Man, it was great to talk to Mike Slater. Although I gotta say, producer Mark, I thought he, I thought he was gonna be like, dude, I've been surfing. Like he 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 seems like. He could be in point break with Keanu Reeves, but he's actually not a surfer. I mean, not everyone who lives in San Diego surfs. You know that, right? I guess. I guess. But he, he is. What I said before, I really mean that. I want to reiterate it. He's uh, one of the nicest, best dudes in the radio business, which is full of a lot of not nice people who, you know, who are who are terrible. <laughs> actually, Mike Slater and Jesse Kelly are like two guys that you'd want to be friends with and, and you'd want as neighbors. You'd want them coaching your kids, little league team or football team. Uh, they're they're just great dudes. And so it's it's an honor, honestly, to to be with them on Pluto TV. The first uh, along with along with Dana Lash, who's a longtime friend and colleague, was fantastic. 
Uh, so anyway, if you haven't checked out our, th- that content, please do, uh, meaning Pluto TV the first with, uh, with Slater. And also you can listen to the Slater show. And I want to thank the fine people of San Diego for listening to this show on KFMB. You guys are great. We are so honored. Producer, even producer Mark was excited when we picked up San Diego. That says a lot. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. One thing I like to point out is the number of criminal cases and investigations brought against Republicans that quite clearly would never have been brought against Democrats. Off the top of my head, you've probably heard me say this before. But you can think of Scott Walker in Wisconsin and the efforts to use the John Doe laws of that state to silence and destroy people around him to take down Scott Walker, who upset the public sector unions and the Democrat apparatus of Wisconsin. No charges against Scott Walker, didn't do anything wrong, but they were abusing. There were prosecutors there, state prosecutors, abusing their authority to go after him. Rick Perry in Texas there was a, uh, an effort to criminally investigate Rick Perry for abuse of authority because he was going to withhold funds from a prosecutor who would not step down, who had been arrested herself for drunk driving. But they wanted to prosecute that as a felony, misuse of his official position. And they had to drop that because it was so stupid. Governor Bob McDonald, who state, uh, who this, the state authorities had no interest in going after, But federal prosecutors, no surprise there, went after him on the theory that even though he had received or had given no benefit of his public office, because he had hung out with a rich businessman who had given him and his wife some gifts, literally just hung out with him, had him at parties at the the governor's mansion, he should face 11 years in federal prison. And his wife should also, who had no, no elected office whatsoever, she should also go to prison. Federal prosecutors, a la Comey, if you will, the way that they do things. You know, that's can you think of any similarities? Oh, and then Donald Trump and the Russia collusion. I mean, of course, that's the biggest one of all. Right. That's like the 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 Mount Olympus of of all abuse of prosecutorial authority cases for political political means. But you'll also remember the Chris Christie case, the Chris Christie case. This was ooh, this was reported on endlessly, endlessly by Democrat media as a major, a major story. I mean, a a fascinating tale of abuse of power. And uh, you even had Lawrence O'Donnell, the blowhard host of The Last Word on MSNBC, say that a because a 91 year old woman was delayed medical treatment because of the traffic jam that high level staffers, Chris Christie staffers, caused that it was the quote uh the willie horton moment of chris christie's presidential campaign remember chris christie was running for president at the time and he o'donnell said quote i haven't been able to get the name of the 91 year old woman who was delayed medical treatment that day because the traffic jam had eventually died and we don't know whether she died because of a delay in treatment but in politics that's not the way they play this game so he didn't even know he didn't even know if you know, this woman could have been dead when they picked her up and took her in the ambulance. That can happen. They, she could have been dead on arrival. She could have had a, a condition. There was nothing they could do. And, uh, you know, she's, she's 91 years old. He doesn't know. All he knows, though, is that this is the end of Chris Christie's presidential campaign because of a traffic jam that was caused by some of his aides. And uh, this was 
report MSNBC really leaned into this one. They treated this like it was a, a fascinating political tale. And Bridget Kelly and William Baroni uh, were sent to federal prison for this, for causing this traffic jam. Now, producer Mark lives in New Jersey. Producer Mark, are traffic jams near the Lincoln Tunnel or the George Washington Bridge uh, a rarity? They're almost always happening. Right now, no, but in a normal right. situation, there is almost always traffic in both of those tunnel bridge, no matter what, yes. Pre-pandemic, anybody who knows the George Washington Bridge or the Lincoln Tunnel to get from New Jersey into, into Manhattan would tell you the moment that you start getting close, you kind of hold your breath. You're like, please don't have this be terror because you can. This has happened to me a lot when I used to drive in from Washington, D.C. to come visit my family in New York. You can make great time for four hours. And, you know, oh, I made it from D.C. to New York. And you get within sight. You can see Manhattan. You can see it. It's right there. But you get stuck at that Lincoln Tunnel. And my, oh, my, you can sit there for 45 minutes, an hour, like it's nothing. Like it's nothing. Just sitting there. Same thing the George Washington Bridge, right? You can sit there all day. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. Now, the theory here was that these two aides to Chris Christie, Bridget Kelly and William Baroni, uh, they created this traffic jam. They were guilty of federal crimes. They got sent to prison for a federal fraud and federal wire fraud. You know what the wire fraud was? Writing emails to each other, uh, each other to create. This is when the federal government, you know, they can use all these statutes to just just hammer you. But writing these uh, emails constituted a, a, a use of wire fraud. And yeah, that's what they did. That's what they did. They charged them with federal crimes, sent them to prison. Well, guess what? The Supreme Court has thrown out the Bridgegate convictions. And Justice Elena Kagan, who I will say, Elena Kagan is a liberal. She is a liberal and she's on the Supreme Court. Elena Kagan is a smart lawyer. Elena Kagan is smart. I, I see. I admit what's true. Justice Sotomayor, for example, is a third tier lawyer and is just not at the level of understanding and comprehension of the law to be on the Supreme Court. Both liberals, but one of them, very smart lawyer. The other one. Now. Kagan here wrote that uh, not every corrupt. And now I believe it was. Yeah, it was a unanimous ruling. It was a unanimous ruling. So I will give credit to every and to everyone on the court that they made the right call, which this is. But it's also, of course, it's a unanimous ruling. Federal wire fraud for writing an email to start a traffic jam. Now, this is this is the kind of act that, yes, people should be held. It's a stupid thing to do. People should be held accountable. But this is something you get fired for. This isn't something you go to federal prison for. Starting think of all the people that. You know, uh, during protests, we'll stand in the street and block traffic. You know, yeah, should they maybe be arrested and processed because they're actively personally blocking traffic? Sure. Do you send them to prison for four years? I mean, actually, I kind of think sometimes we should. But still. Federal crime. That's what they're saying. And uh, here's here's what the uh, just Justice Lena Kagan writing for this in this unanimous ruling. Uh, here's how she put it. Quote, not every corrupt act by state or local officials is a federal crime. Because the scheme here did not aim to obtain money or property, 
Baroni and Kelly could not have violated the federal program fraud or wire fraud laws, end quote. Think of how, and look, I, you know, give credit, and the, the libs on the court, even Sotomayor, all right, I'm going to admit it. He's not a good lawyer, but, you know, they did the right thing. Even G- Ginsburg, who I think had to call in for the arg- oral arguments recently. Um, there was this Babylon B piece about how they're trying to lock Ginsburg in, in um, not carp, is it, what's the thing that they, in Star Wars, they put you in, is it carbonite? Is I'm that what they Star call Wars it guys, when they freeze you? You're not a Star Wars guy? No. It's boring to me. Wow. And you still haven't watched The Mandalorian, have you? I have not. Uh, but producer Nick is telling us it is Carbonite. Producer Nick, he's, he's, a, he's a Star Wars buff, I know. Yeah, Carbonite. They're trying to lock... Uh, the, the, the joke in the Babylon Bee is they're going to lock uh, Ginsburg and Carbonite because and anything to make sure that she's, okay, you know, she's still on the Supreme Court, especially... I mean, if Trump wins re-election, they're, they're not going to... I mean... I don't even know what they're going to do, but you're going to see Ginsburg show up and she'll be like the first, you know, cyborg that's ever been created. They're going to whatever implants they have to put in the, you know, uh, technology, 21st century sci-fi stuff, whatever they got to do, they're going to do. That's how much they they value having a, uh, a Supreme Court as a super legislature for the left. But but let's go back here to to the moment uh, to the throwout here. And they mentioned the uh, Governor Bob McDonnell conviction, which was also thrown out by the Supreme Court. These are Republicans. You think that's an accident? These are either Republican operatives or Republican politicians who are overzealously prosecuted by the feds. Oh, you mean the deep state has been around for a long time? You mean the deep state isn't just some new thing against Trump? Mm hmm. That's right. If you're a lib, if you're a Democrat, you get to you get to exist under a different set of rules. That's just that's just the way it is. That's what we see happening time and again. Um, But this was the right move. How can you how can you be guilty of fraud and wire fraud for just doing, you know, doing something within your power? It is with was within their powers to do this. They said they called it a traffic study or something, but it was essentially a really dumb prank. And, and by the way, I don't think it's a funny one. I think traffic is not funny. I think it's really frustrating. And I think, you know, I don't want to know what producer Mark would do if you put him in traffic for two hours because of a prank. And then you handed him a baseball bat and said, those are the people responsible. Oh, you don't, don't want to know. What he would no, do. it would not be pretty. It would not be pretty. I mean, he's going to admit it would not be pretty. So I understand. Right. I understand. It's very frustrating. But yeah, they should be fired. They should be fired and their reputation should be damaged. Federal prison. Where, what's the fraud? Being a moron? If, if being a moron is a federal fraud and writing in an email about your being a moron is a federal wire fraud, we better really start locking up some politicians uh, all over the place. This was absurd. The fact that federal prosecutors took it to this extent, the fact that, that, that a judge allowed this to happen in the first case, a, 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 unanimous, a unanimous overthrow of this? from the Supreme Court just goes to show you folks there are a lot of political hacks and activists wearing robes and in prosecutors you know judges robes and in prosecutors not like a normal robe hey check out my not like that. I'm not a robe guy by the way I go to a hotel and I'll put on the robe just because I feel like you got to if you're really getting into the hotel vibe but I'm not a robe guy never have been um where was I I just got confused for a second yeah so they had to uh 
I was thinking about a time when you could actually go to like spas in these places and you could live normal life and wear a robe and you can't do that anymore. So uh, a, win, a win for justice here. You know, these people, their reputations are ruined. Their lives are forever, forever marred by this. But they shouldn't be in federal prison. And even all the libs in the Supreme Court agree. But remember my initial premise here. Where are the Democrats who are unfairly, unfairly destroyed? The only one that can come to mind, maybe for some of you, is Blagojevich, who is clearly kind of a, a corrupt guy. Uh, but who's who's come to Blagojevich's defense for overreach of the government? Trump and Republicans. It's not Democrats that are saying, yeah, you know, Blagojevich wasn't really that bad. He got a raw deal. They like the same people that want to control every aspect of your life now under the pandemic. The same people want to tell you, you know, what you could eat and you have to recycle and no plastic bags being used and all this stuff. Those same people like that the state, the big S state, is able to crush anyone they want using the courts and using the prosecutor's uh, uh, weapons. That's not the country I want to live in. If you're going to go to prison, whatever you did should be able to be in one sentence. It should be clear what you did, why it's bad and why you need to have your freedom taken away. It shouldn't be some cobble. It shouldn't be like the Logan Act, for example, which they went after Flynn on. Right. It shouldn't be some bull crap that we all know is ridiculous. So there you have it. Bridgegate slapped it down. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We have a huge crisis here. We haven't had as many people unemployed since the Great Depression. Stores, uh, businesses are closing all the time. More people are being laid off. People are being, uh, have trouble in every way economically. We need big, bold action. And Speaker Pelosi and I are working very closely together on putting together a very strong plan, which you will hear shortly. The people like McConnell and McCarthy and even Trump who say, let's wait and do nothing. Well, they remind me of the old Herbert Hoover's. Uh, We had the Great Depression. Hoover said, just let's wait it out. It got worse and worse. We need Franklin Rooseveltian type action. And we hope to take that in the House and Senate in a very big and bold way. The progressive transformation that they will try because of the crisis we are going through is is inevitable, right? This is what the fight is going to become. We have the reopening fight, but we also have the what does the government do as we're trying to because the reopen is not going to be easy. It's not going to be clean. It's not going to be fast. So how much of a role does the federal government take in this whole process? Hmm, that'll be interesting. We'll have to see how much of a role does the federal government have to prop all of this up and make sure that industries that are battered by all of this, that uh, entire sectors of our economy that are they're on life support. They're not going to come out of life support, so to speak, hopping around doing backflips and everything's going to be fine. They're going to be limping. These these sectors are going to be barely able to move even once they're able to start uh, some business uh, again. They're able to reengage in, in commerce. But the Great Depression uh, was exacerbated and elongated by the New Deal and by FDR it libs always fight on this. They say it's not true. There have been exhaustive studies of it. Uh, if, if you, you know, maybe this is something there's actually one author in particular I'm thinking of that I'll reach out to on this and see if she'll come on and just make the case because people need to understand that this the 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 New Deal made things in the Great Depression worse. It did not 
actually take us out of the Great Depression. So I know it's history, but the history is going to be informing policy right now. And that's why they're saying, you know, we need FDR type action, not the internment of people into uh, into camps. Well, I'm glad that Democrats will agree with that. Right. Their hero FDR just kind of always gets a pass on that one. Also, remember that he's still a hero to Democrats. And as we're in this era right now of more government control, more government power than we've ever seen before. How unthinkable is it really that they would try to force people, uh, force people off of their land and, and start telling people under the quarantine rhetoric, right? Under the quarantine rhetoric, you have to stay in this place that we tell you you have to stay in. We're not there yet, but I, I you know, I, I, I didn't think we'd be where we are right now. And that was even a, a month or two ago where people are saying, yeah, we'll just stay in lockdown forever. Oh, one more thing. My buddy, uh, Kelly McEnany had a great response. You know, she's now White House press secretary. She's doing a great job. And she had a response to uh, an assault, a verbal assault, of course, from one of the reporters, just trying to undermine her early on in the job, make her look foolish. And this one was this was a fun this was a fun one. Play 10. Kaylee, in a previous life, before you were press secretary, you worked for the campaign. And you made a comment, I believe, on Fox, in which you said President Trump will not allow the coronavirus to come to this country. Given what has happened since then, obviously, would you like to take that back? Well, first, let me note, I was asked a question um, on Fox Business about President's travel restrictions. I noted what was the intent behind those travel restrictions, which is we will not see the coronavirus come here. We will not see terrorism come here, referring to an earlier set of travel restrictions. I guess I would turn the question back on the media and ask similar questions. Does Vox want to take back that they proclaim that the coronavirus would not be a deadly pandemic? Does The Washington Post want to take back that they told Americans to get a grip, the flu is bigger than the coronavirus? Does the Washington Post likewise want to take back that our brains are causing us to exaggerate the threat of the coronavirus? Does the New York Times want to take back that fear of the virus may be spreading faster than the virus itself? Does NPR want to take back that the flu was a much bigger threat than the coronavirus? And finally, once again, the Washington Post, would they like to take back that the government should not respond aggressively to the coronavirus? I'll leave you with those questions and maybe you'll have some answers in a few days. This is where you do narrative voice, uh, narrative voice that uh, they do not want to take. <laughs> They're not going to have answers to those questions and they will not be taking that back. All right, well, let's get let's get some roll call going here in a moment with producer Mark. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Buck, it's time for roll call. Yes, we have our tunes back. That's what I'm talking about, producer Mark. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, also, want to tell you that I I watched the new Jerry Seinfeld stand-up special last night with the Snow Princess, and I would have you seen it yet? Yes, I watched it last night as well. Look at that. We're so simpatico. Yes. Yeah. Gosh. And I finished Waco. What'd you think? It was fantastic. Fantastic. Right? Huh. I mean, ATF, 
they make ATF look like a like a Mexican drug cartel or something. Yeah. It's really bad for the ATF in that. They job. don't make the FBI look good. At the, I don't know if you've seen the the end there, but they don't. Oh make no, them look I haven't seen either. the ending yet, but I mean I know what happens. So, but at least there's that one guy in the FBI is like maybe we shouldn't just the like, way they portray you know, it. Is that there's I, that guy, the negotiator guy? I don't want to ruin it for you, but the way they portray it, he looks really good, the negotiator guy, and the other guys look the tactical guys look awful. Oh, of course. Well, you know that's coming. And also, you have to remember that in the beginning of the show, it's based on two memoirs. One of the memoirs that the show is based on is the negotiator guy. Yes. So it's not surprising that he's like, oh, I got an idea. Maybe we shouldn't just uh, kill everybody. And the guy's like, no, we have all this cool gear. We're high speed. We got to go in there and shoot everybody and everything. And he's like, but, but maybe we could de-escalate for, you know, you're like, uh, I think the de-escalate guy might be on to something in this case. Right. But yeah, yeah I think I would have sided with a the negotiator there. Yeah, yeah. The negotiator guy, the negotiator guy's like, wait, I got an idea. Maybe we don't have to like absolutely create a catastrophe here. And then the, and then the other FBI guy's like, why are you such a wimp? Let's go in there and blow everything up. You know, it's like, whoa. Those, those FBI guys are, you know what else, Snow Princess? We, uh, we watched two things last night, um, and it was her choice. We watched the Seinfeld thing, and I will say, and I'm obviously the worst thing you can ever do is try to take a comedian's jokes and tell them because it never, that's, that's always like people never want to talk to you again when you do that because you just ruin it and it's not funny. But I think you can refer to the general topic uh, and his thing about, about porta potties, I mean, I, I was it actually hurt, like it was hurting me on the inside. Yes, I 100 agree. That was like the funniest thing that I've. I mean, because it was so. Some of his stuff about cell phones was really good too, but the porta potty thing was was you know. I thought he started out a little, almost like he was kind of nervous, like he hasn't done it in a long time. Like the first five minutes of the Seinfeld stand up, I thought were. Yeah, you know, he was kind of getting maybe maybe that's true of a lot of standouts, but he was trying to get into a rhythm and it was a little. Yeah, I think he was when warming he, up he the audience the a little bit. He was warming up himself. Yes, it felt it, that's right. It felt like he was kind of warming up himself, whatever. But when he got going, I got to say it was it was really good. Yeah, he still has I his fastball. I still. Yeah, he still. I mean, that like with the porta potty thing, that was so funny that like later on, I thought about it to myself and still kept kind of laughing. Um And then uh, on oh well, with Waco, the other thing that Snow Princess wanted to watch was. uh Die Hard, which she had never seen. We were looking for something to watch kind of late night, you know, we were just passing out. And she's like, I haven't seen Die Hard. I was like, uh, we could always watch Die Hard. Yeah. But in cor- of course, in Die Hard, you have Special Agent Johnson and Special Agent Johnson, who are like the quintessential jerk FBI agents in it. It's really funny, you know, especially when the guy, it's kind of like the Waco guys a little bit. You've seen Die Hard, obviously. Of course. Yeah. Remember when the guy's like, yeah, we'll go in there hot and heavy, you know, Take about 30% casualties uh, for the hostages. I can live with that. And everyone's like, what? It's the, the Waco guys are a little bit like that. You know, there's a little bit of the like, hey, you know, half the, half the people may die in the shootout we're going to start here. But, you know, you got to break, uh, got to break some eggs to make an omelet. I mean, thing, you know? since you know what eventually happens, the Waco guys were worse than that. Technically. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no. It's really bad. It's really bad. Um. So, and you know, uh, at Ruby Ridge, the Weaver family at Ruby Ridge, they got $3 million from the government. So it's not like, you know, that, that thing was bad. It was on a much smaller scale, but that was a bad shoot, too. Uh, anyway. All right. Let's get to, uh, I know, I, we, we get all excited about this stuff. I will say, though, I had one. I, I ordered a, from some gluten-free burgers last night from a restaurant that I wanted to try. And uh, you know when you, read the, when you read the reviews and you're like, maybe these people just don't like the place. No, they were right. I turned yeah. to Snow Princess. I was like, do you like, I was kind of like, do you like your burger, honey? And she's like, she's trying. And I'm like, no, you don't. 
But hey, we put some money in the local economy and people are still working and, you know. She doesn't order a regular burger? Oh, no, she had a regular one. Oh, okay. I had a gluten-free So one, the gluten-free was, and the regular burgers all sucked? Both bad. Okay. Yeah, both bad. So that was a, that was a miss. Swing and a miss from the Buckster. All right, we got roll call, so we got to do it. And, um, and uh, producer Mark, here it is. Greta. I always like that name. Yes, Wisconsin is the Badgers, and our main college rivalry is the Minnesota Gophers. Oh, gosh, Gophers. Oh, yeah. In my opinion, the real Midwest beef is between Wisconsin and Illinois, though. Unfortunately, I live about a half a mile from the Illinois-Wisconsin border. Around here, Illinois residents are generally referred or commonly referred to as fibs. Effing Illinois bastards. <laughs> Whoa, that's pretty intense. Midwest beef is it? <laughs> that's funny. Their next line is Midwest beef is intense. I didn't know that. Yeah, I guess there's nothing better to do than hate on each other. Where I come from, nobody cares about mainland Michigan. The, 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 how do we say it? The youp? The up? Youpers. The youp is cool. And yes, we all sound like that, although we like to pretend we don't. Oh, yeah, we all sound like that. The youp. Oh, the youp is great. Oh, gosh. It's a great place. Uh, and I didn't know that there's any, I can't imagine people in the Midwest having all this beef with each other. But I do know, for example, from the NFL, which is the one sport that I, I have made an effort in recent years to really watch regularly that uh, the beef between the Vikings and the Bears is substantial. Yeah, and the Packers and the Bears. and the- Oh, the Packers and the Bears. I mean, the Packers and Bears and Packers and Vikings yes. are even bigger, actually. Yes. Yeah. So you can kind of sense that one. The weird thing for New York is our, is our New York football giants play in New Jersey. Their stadium yeah. is in New Jersey. So do your New York football Jets. Yeah, well, I mean, come on, the Jets. You know. Technically, the only New York football team is the Buffalo Bills. Good call. Huh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell Snow Princess is from Buffalo, so I'm going to tell her that that little bit of uh, that factoid. I, I impressed her in the early days by telling her that the Goo Goo Dolls are, in fact, from Buffalo and are one of my favorite 90s rock bands, and I don't care what people say about that. The Goo Goo Dolls are great. I have a friend who is obsessed with them. They're great. Yeah, they are good. Their songs really stand up. I mean, they're really catchy, you know? Good musicians. Anyway, Matthew writes, Hey, Buck, I just saw a local restaurant called Poblano's with a huge crowd outside. Turns out they've organized and an event focused on a special day they're having all out, held outside with social distancing encouraged. I'm assuming if it's, if it's Poblano's, it was probably a Cinco de Mayo party. Not to like, but I mean, right? Yeah, if, if this was sent this week, then yeah, it has to be. Yeah. I love the ingenuity and their persistence through the crisis. It's truly American strong. North Carolina is sick of the quarantine. Shields high. Buck, please continue to keep us safe and warm at night. Matthew, that's what I'm here for. Shields high, keeping you safe and warm at night. That's what we do. Randy, hey, Buck, don't feel bad about your nerd trophies. <laughs> Thanks, Randy. I want producer Mark will make sure that I... I, uh, I'm, I'm kept in check with my nerd trophies. I competed in some chess tournaments back in the day. I didn't get no trophies, just a piece of paper. Only one girl was ever impressed by my chessboard prowess. LOL. I feel a little gross after reading the last sentence. Shields high. You know, Randy, chess is, I like chess, actually. I think chess is a fun game. It's a fun uh, game to play with somebody because you really, you know, you, you can get super intense about it or you can play more relaxed chess. My preferred version of playing chess with someone is with like a nice glass of uh, mezcal or tequila on the rocks or a nice red wine in hand, 
You know, that's the way to do it. Maybe play some tunes, sit back, relax, and let Cat Stevens, let the cat purr. You know, that's, that's what you want to do. It sounds offensive to people who play chess competitively. I know, right? The people that are really into it, the super chess nerds, are like, Bishop to knight six. I will take your rook with my pawn. I don't know why they're all Russian all of a sudden, yeah. but they are. Because we all know the Ruskies are good at chess, right? Sure, I why not? I will defeat you. I will crush your king and take him from you. Just like that. No? Yeah, that's exactly how they sound, I'm sure. That's exactly how they all sound. <laughs> Go into the park, even. You'll see some guy there named Igor who's like, I will play you in speed chess. We will, uh, we will play for money or we will play for who will cut off their finger. I feel like this was a storyline on the Nickelodeon cartoon, Hey Arnold. There's something about chess. I've never seen that cartoon. Oh, I've even heard of it, so I'll have to take your word for it. Wow. Yes. You really are old. My name is Sergey. I will take your house and all of your money if you don't win this chess match. It, that's how it goes. That's how it goes. Chris, Buck, love the show. I'm slow, so it took me a bit to realize. Oh, okay, Chris. Thanks so much, man. COVID has now replaced climate farce as a means of establishing nearly full social control. Oh, I think he's slow to realize that, not that he loves the show. Now, now I get it. I was like, okay, if it takes you a while to love the show, as long as you love the show, I'm happy. Clearly, the host's a little slow to realize things, too. Yeah. Wow. It's like that. Uh, it's like that. You served it up guys, on a plate for you me. Guys can all read. You guys should write in now and tell producer Mark he has to be nice to the host. Anyway, it gives them cover since even one life loss is too many Except, of course, baby, bo- oh, gosh, baby butchering, which is life-saving to them. If this doesn't wake people up, nothing short of a police state will. Even then, it will take years. Yeah, no, they've, they've, uh, there's been an ideological shift toward lockdown and the, uh, the collective lockdown, the collectivist lockdown consensus that this, this can give them everything that they normally want and can't achieve through legislation or through constitutional means. There has been that shift that has occurred, so we need to keep that in mind. We need to remember that. Becky! Hey, Buck, how do we as a nation charge the governors with treason who are not opening up their states, holding people hostage and not letting our countrymen live free lives? They are withholding freedom from citizens, as you know. My state has been opening up in increments, but feels slow as heck. And my state started opening in the very first group of states that opened. We still have not been able to go shopping at a department store for necessities such as undergarments. Also, how the heck do we get Nancy Pelosi out? Cannot barely stand abiding in the same country with this lying, devious, more than privileged excuse for a House speaker. Well, Becky, Nancy Pelosi, she's, she's a master legislator. She's going to just, you know, she's a, Trump, is, Trump is the devil. And, you know, she, I don't know, man. We, how do you get rid of Pelosi? You know, tell the libs to stop voting for the worst person ever. And uh, treason, as you know, is giving aid and comfort to the enemy under law. So you can't get in these people for treason. And, you know, I, I, I think that, um, the, some, some are not opening the states up because they are really, really worried, but a lot are not opening. The, and I mean this for citizens as well as leadership and political leadership. But a lot are also not opening it up, I think, for uh, for the political reasons of control and economic suppression. Right. And economic suppression is, in a sense, very much tied to control, because if you continue to suppress this economy, it means that you will be able to wrest control away from Trump and have control yourself that c word keeps coming up for a reason it's very central to the left's thinking the libs are obsessed with it you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast more roll call here jonathan writes hey buck if it makes you feel better no one can whistle with a mask on 
Hmm. Producer Mark, I think that's probably true, isn't it? Or maybe they can and you just can't hear it as much. Right, but it, it would, so it would be a stifled whistle, but yeah. can you even... I feel like it would be difficult. I would be, you know, I mean, not that I'm good at whistling because I actually can't whistle, but that's not why I hate it. Whistling is an auditory violation. And it's terrible. No whistling. I know. See, I knew he was going to do that. He's just being, he's just being mean now. He's just, yeah. You know, producer, producer Mark is just running around spiking the football in the end zone with his whistle at the end of the show because he knows I'm happy that we got through another fantastic show and so he can get away with his nonsense today. But, you know, it's, as long as you never do, and I'm serious, don't do this one on the show because people, people will, their eardrums will explode. Yeah. Uh, or at least mine will. The thing where people put the fingers in the mouth, though, in the football stadiums, that I don't no, understand. I, I can't even do that. The person that is near you does not want their eardrums blown out so you can make a stupid whistle sound. Don't do that, folks. I've had that happen to me that. at sporting events, too. It's just, it's not that I mind the whistling, it's just don't do it next to me. It's just super obnoxious because yeah. it really is only loud to the people right next to you, and it's super loud to them, and no one else cares. I don't know why people think that's cool. That should be banned, banished. It should get you, like, you should be treated like the person at Madison Square Garden who throws his hot dog on the floor, you know, in front of, or, you know, I mean on the basketball floor or on the ice. Yes. Which is where they play hockey. See, I know some things. Which is where they play hockey. (laughs) On the ice, true. You know, producer Mark, I will tell you, I actually tried, and I know it's on Disney+, Plus, so I will watch it. I tried to convince Snow Princess to uh, watch Miracle. And you know what? She didn't want to watch it because we were so tired that yeah. she wanted to watch the whole thing through. Okay. We'll watch it. I- I'm excited for that. So we're going to take a producer Mark recommendation there. Instead, we watched the first 30 minutes of Die Hard and fell asleep. Tallulah sure. likes Die Hard, too, though. She's into it. She's like, yes, Die Hard. All right. Michael writes, Buck, I really liked your segment with Andy Dean. I used to listen to him on radio every day back in the day. Hearing two big brains discuss politics and policy is great content. Shields high from Austin. KLBJ Austin, what is up? Great to talk to you folks. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate that we've had a lot of uh, growth in Team Buck Austin for the last couple of years. And uh, KLBJ is a fantastic station, and we're honored to be affiliated with it. Uh, As for um, Andy Dean, Andy Dean and I become friends over the years. He's a really sharp guy, really smart dude. Uh, and we, we just get along and, and, uh, you know, he was a very solid radio host in his own right when he was on the air. And, you know, now he's been doing more entrepreneurial business stuff, but he occasionally does some commentary. He used to go on CNN a fair amount as a Trump surrogate back in the, back in 2016. Uh, and, you know, Andy and I, we just look, he's, he's smart and knows stuff and we respect each other and we get, we have good conversations. And so uh, I got nothing but high fives and good feelings about Andy and uh, anything I can do to help him here. And we're going to get him on the show more. I mean, he's somebody that I I think should be, uh, his voice should be heard by more folks. Uh, Rob writes, you missed the most obvious flaw in Cuomo's. You might kill someone if you don't wear a mask speech. If I go in in public without a mask and someone dies, they were almost certainly at risk. So if they are out, they put themselves at risk, not me. I say mandatory masks at essential places like the supermarket. Anywhere else, you go there, you take your chances. Hmm. Rob? Uh, Interesting theory. Thank you for writing in. Edmund, so it's been shown that using antibodies from people that had COVID-19 to cure COVID-19 works. Why can't the government pay people with antibodies to donate their blood for making these cures? Several million people have the antibodies now. Edmund, I don't think it's that clear and that effective. I think it's considered helpful this is this is also the fancy way of saying it is convalescent plasma, uh, but it's just antibodies in the blood being pulled out and given to somebody else. Uh, if you're really too far gone, part of the problem is by the time people get to the hospital, they're often too sick and too far gone for really any treatment to be very effective. And other people who aren't that far gone, aren't that sick, 
it's hard to tell if they're getting better because of the treatment or if they were going to get better anyway. But uh, Edmund, I do appreciate you uh, writing in and sharing your thoughts on this one. And uh, let's save the rest. We got some more great roll calls here. Um, let's save those for tomorrow. We got some fantastic guests lined up for tomorrow, too. So it's going to be a great show, my friends. Please do pass the buck. Tell somebody. Just do me a favor. It really is a favor, and I really do appreciate it. Tell someone you know. Text them. Email them. Send them a link to the Buck Sexton Show. Say, you got to listen to this guy on radio. It's really worthwhile. That is my early Christmas and birthday present this year. So uh, for me and producer Mark, although for him it's a Hanukkah present, but that's, you know, you guys already know that. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. Shields high.